Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not have enough time. <laughs> the, the text for today, this psalm is amazing, um, and it does so much that we can really only focus, there's 17 verses, and we're going to focus on the first about seven of them, kind of eight, nine also, we, literally not enough time. But what I want you to pay attention, and this should be way easier for you to pay attention because I didn't want you to miss it, um, I gave Sarah the task of figuring out how to color code the text as we read it. As I'm reading this, you're going to see um, green, what were the colors we decided on? Green, blue, yellow, yellow blue, green, yellow, blue. Um, you're going to see a text that's in green, and then you're going to see another text in green a little bit later, and they say the same thing, basically in different words. And then also the, the yellow and blue. So as I'm reading these first five verses, what you're going to see is it's sort of like there's one point, there's a second point, there's a third point, and then one point, a second point, and a third point, and one and one match, two and two match, and three and three match. And those are the three things that we're talking about today. They actually frame the, the faithful routine that we all have, that faithful routine of waiting, watching, and witnessing. So this is Psalm 40, verses 1 through 17. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delights in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. In Hebrews chapter 10, 1 to 7, 
There is part of this text that is quoted, specifically the part that was not in color code, but just following it, which is often what we see in the structure in the Old Testament, in their poetry, their songs, and their writing. You see a pattern, and then when the pattern breaks, you go, that's the main point. And the main point of that psalm is actually sacrifice. And that's the main point of the sermon, even though we're not going to get to the the very end. Sorry about that. But it's sacrifice. And in Hebrews, there's this strange situation where the author has to say, no longer do we go to the temple to sacrifice. Though we were Jews who sacrificed continually, that's what we did. Now we see this new thing where Christ is the once and for all sacrifice. So there is no, we we don't go to the temple to make sacrifice because Jesus has already done it. So this is Psalm, or this is Hebrews 10, verses one to seven. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious need of it, of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this psalm, My Help and My Deliverer, is the title in uh, Psalm 40. It, It describes David in a feeling, in a moment, in a time We don't know personally what's going on, but he feels stuck. He feels lost. He feels helpless. He feels something that I'm sure you've got in your heart right now to some extent, maybe to a great extent, but have had in your life at some point where where you feel like you you just can't figure out anything. (laughs) What is God doing in my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? Or this terrible thing, and, and now what? Or, I, you know, I've lost somebody, and I, and I don't know what life looks like next, and, and how is God going to continue to work in, in my life? It, it's this helpless, drifting, sort of anchorless feeling of, of helplessness. And here David describes his pathway through it, and he's, he's not even saying that he did it, he's out of it, and everything is okay now. He's just describing what I've just titled for this message only, the faithful routine. There's a faithful routine in these times of, of personal spiritual crisis that is prescribed all over the scriptures, and, and if you just read and pay attention to many places in the scriptures, you'll see it, but you won't like it. <laughs> it's a faithful routine that most of us are only very bad at, 
and the rest of us are just absolutely terrible at it. And I put myself in that category of the absolutely terrible at it. And the faithful routine has three parts, and they were color-coded. So we're going to walk through those three parts, the wait, watch, witness. Probably not the best words, but I like alliteration, so there we go. The first one is wait. Now, when it comes to these times of crisis, we tend to, to start to get ready to take action. I'm in this spot. How do I get out of this spot? What's my strategy? What's the game plan? What am I going to say to this person? And if I say it just the right way to this person, then that person will feel this way. Maybe they'll do this thing, which will help me so I can do that thing. And you see where it's, what I'm describing is manipulation. <laughs> what I'm describing is, is, if you put it nicely, it's trying to orchestrate sort of the world around us. And this is like office politics, right? If I say the right thing to my, this boss, and they say something favorable to that boss, and then it comes down the chain here, maybe this will help me with my problem in work over here. But we do it inter-sort of relationally also, with relationships where we're constantly trying to manage what we say, how we say it, in a way that will, for somebody else, get the response that benefits us or helps us. And there you go. If that sounded selfish, it is. <laughs> it's ugly. It's sinful. It's wrong. And, and setting all of that aside, it's not what God tells you to do. Right? God doesn't tell you to figure out how you can say or do the right thing to get what you want or need for you with his children. These are his kids. <laughs> we look at them as, as co-workers or you know, uncles, aunts, friends, relatives. These are his children that we're kind of messing with, right? playing mind games with. And especially in those times of crisis, we, we have that fight, flight, panic mode where, where we got to do this thing and figure it out. And when we're in that emotional, spiritual crisis, and, and it can be from a financial crisis, a work crisis, a family crisis, it can be from a lot of different things, we're looking to solve the problem constantly. But the psalmist, David, says, chill. These are the two texts. I think they're both up at the same time. We should have game planned this more <laughs> instead of me sending it being like, figure it out, right? I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently. Let's look at the next one. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray. This one, after a lie, this one needs a little bit more explanation. In, in the original text, Hebrew and Greek, it's talking about idolatry, which I will dial right to. In our world, I don't think any of you in moments of crisis think, I need a golden cow to pray to, right? Or I need to set up an Asherah pole to pray to. But you go to your own idols. You go to your idols of money, influence, power, work, you, you, I know somebody who's got some influence who could do this thing. That's your idol. 
right? Those are the ones who go astray after a lie. Instead, make the Lord your trust, and then do not turn, meaning stop. (laughs) Wait patiently, stop, chill. Because the next point is to watch. Now, this watch doesn't mean look to the horizon or go out and search and, and, and find something. This means, right off of the dovetailing with wait, now keep your eyes open. What is God going to do here? What's God going to do in this situation? This is frustrating because he sometimes decides he's going to have us wait for a couple of weeks. And sometimes it's a couple of decades. <laughs> and there's no way to know how the, which one that's going to be. But we wait and we watch and we look for the resolution of this thing. And when you're watching for how God is going to resolve something, don't be watching for the lightning from the sky to strike the coworker you don't like. And you're like, thanks, God. <laughs> that's how I'd have done that too, right? <laughs> like, no. You're, you're watching for whatever the resolution is, and, and this can sometimes be frustrating because in your mind, the way you would have orchestrated it might be the takedown of somebody or the elevation of somebody or uh, to win the lottery and it didn't happen or whatever it is. The, the resolution in your mind is probably kind of dramatic, kind of awesome, kind of fulfilling to like all encompassing and probably selfish, sinful, and wrong. Which is why that's not what you're watching for. Sometimes what you see in the resolution, and there will be a resolution, is the opposite of what you want. But let's take a look at these scriptures that I have under under this watching. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. It doesn't sound like a big win, right? That's not, he placed me on the mountain, gave me the scepter, crowned me king, and laid my enemies at my feet, and gave me, no, it just means secure, solid ground. The resolution, the resolution is simply going to have you being secure in the kingdom of God. Now let's look at the second one which builds off of that, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare you. Those wondrous deeds are are not the conquering of the world, are are not the making you the CEO, not, not you being victorious. It's to make sure everybody understands that no one can compare with God. It's for his glory and for his purpose. So just to remind you where we are in the message, we wait patiently, not orchestrating, not being overly active to try and make everything fit the story that we want, the the ending that we're looking for, and all of that. We sit back, we wait, and then we watch, and then we say, where am I seeing God's name glorified? Not me, not not my life necessarily better in the way that I want it. 
This is about God's kingdom. We got to put ourselves in the right place. The, the story of scripture, this, this book, isn't about you. It, it isn't about me. It isn't about us. This is about God. God is glorious. He, he's the main character. He's the hero. And then at the end, he wins. <laughs> we, we have this beautiful, wondrous role. And, and that role is a very passive role, a, a, a very secondary role. But then at the end, when he wins, he elevates us to a place of glory. That's so beautiful that we're just a minor character, a bit part in the story. And yet at the end, because of his love for us, because of this special place that we have, that we have been given in his kingdom, at the end, he elevates us and he glorifies us at the resurrection and gives to us eternal life. But make no mistake, this, this book is about him. And this life you're living is about him. It's not about you. And when it's about him, we see his kingdom advanced. We see his kingdom move forward. One of the, the absolute best examples I can give, and, and I know people in here will begin to think, this is about me, or this is about my, my parents or my grandparents. Very specifically, you're kind of right. <laughs> but it's more like a conglomeration of all of these stories, which is this, someone near the end of their life, just ready to see Jesus. I just love Jesus. I'm, I'm good. Lord, any minute now would be great. <laughs> like I just, I'm good. My kids are good. My life, good. My family is good. I love Jesus. And they look at me and they say, Pastor, why won't he just take me? Why won't he just take me home? I just want to see Jesus. That is not selfish. It's not ugly. It's not wrong. But that would be, <laughs> that would be to rob your kids, your family, your friends, your church from watching you be faithful. Do you know, it's not about you. If it was about you, then God would take you because you're good. If it was about you, God would be like, you're good. Come on up. Let's hang out. I got a mansion right over here for you. Chill out, relax. Resurrection's on the way. Everything's going to be great. But it isn't about you. That's a hard thing to say to somebody, by the way, who's like a veteran of the faith and been loving Jesus longer than I've been alive. And here I am, some young punk pastor telling them, uh, you're being selfish. It's not about you. <laughs> I try and say it nicer than that. But you get the point, right? It is this, no, no, you don't understand. You, you are this living testimony that God is good. You are just a, a human being radiating the promises of God to your kids for another day, another month, another year, another decade, whatever it is. You know how valuable that is to God's kingdom? And that's the part, the last W here, which is witness. You're a witness. You, you are showing the world when you wait and you don't do anything 
And then God resolves something, and you go, oh, look, there it is. <laughs> That's how God decided to resolve that. Maybe it was exactly what I wanted. Maybe it was exactly the opposite of what I wanted. The witness at that point in time is, well, let's look at what the psalmist says. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, put their trust in the Lord. So even when it goes catastrophically wrong, not the way you would have wanted it, you lose your job, you, you, you break a relationship, something, it all just goes away, right? You go, praise the Lord. And, and maybe you can't figure out why you should praise the Lord, but you praise the Lord. <laughs> and then people look and see, what is that about? Well, that's about me trusting and waiting and watching for that final thing he's going to do, the resurrection. Because the people of God waited and watched for thousands of years to see the resolution that is their Messiah murdered, brutally on a cross. They waited, and then they watched, and they went, well, that's not how I'd have done it. <laughs> right? But then they bore witness and said, he lives He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. That's that faithful wait, watch, witness. The next one from Psalm, I will proclaim and tell of them they are more than can be told, these wondrous deeds. How do we do that? The way you do that is, one, come to church. <laughs> Every time you sing and you praise, and you are worshiping God here, let me, let me give you the, the secret. I know. <laughs> I know in your heart there's something broke. I know. So, some of you have shared with me for pastoral guidance, but the ones who haven't, I still know because you're human, because you're a person, I know you've got that in your heart, and you're going, yeah, I don't feel like praising God right at this moment because you know what? I don't. I can't see, I'm waiting, I can't see it, frustrated, praise God. And you witness to others this faithful routine. I'm here, and I'm waiting, watching, but I'm here witnessing, praising God. This is what I believe, this is my faith. You say it in the midst of those tragedies, right? And people say, oh my God, are you doing okay? You don't say, I'm great, things are great. <laughs> This horrible thing happened, but I feel great. No, you say, I'm waiting to see what God's going to do. I'm watching for this resolution, and the witness is, I know he's a wondrous God, and this is about him and his kingdom. And I say, but this is hard for you, isn't it? Sure, it's hard for me, but I'm wanting to see where is this in God's kingdom, how is his kingdom manifest? Will somebody come back to faith in the church because of this? Will somebody ha have a reckoning of faith and believe because of this tragedy or hard thing in my life? Will somebody be blessed because I'm going through this? You see, it's not about me when I'm waiting and watching and witnessing. I don't witness, oh, I'm so tough, I'm getting through this. I'm so smart, I know how to figure this out. Or look at the plans I've made to survive this. I'm witnessing God is advancing his kingdom and, and I'm the bit part watching it, waiting for it, 
and then witnessing it with joy and thanksgiving. I told you four minutes over. I don't care. You got nowhere to go. There's no football on right now. You're fine. I told you this whole thing is about sacrifice. And in Psalm 40, verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, verse 6, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. And actually the author in Hebrew quotes the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which talks about a body or something. This is a weird construction. Um, I prefer the Hebrew here over the Greek translation of the Old Testament because it, it, it's a, the word is to dig into the ear. <laughs> what it means is, is not that the, the psalmist heard a voice, but rather like almost in an actively violent way, God mashed this, dug a hole, bored a hole into his head and put it in there. Don't bring a sacrifice. Don't bring a sacrifice. See, the tradition was, I'm in distress, I'm in trouble, I'm going to go to the Lord for this waiting, watching, and witnessing, and I'm going to bring with me an animal to sacrifice, because that's what we do, we sacrifice these things to the Lord, but God, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, was setting the table to say, it's not about the sacrifice, it's not about the sacrifice, it's about the sacrifice. So that's the last point in the sermon. Sac- sacrifice, not sacrifice. Not animals, goats. That's what the author in Hebrew says. It's not goats and bulls. These sacrifices are designed to point us to the ultimate sacrifice that is Jesus. See, if you want to really wait, watch, and witness, all you have to do is wait for the Spirit to reveal to you how the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross ultimately resolves all of this problem that we have. There is nothing that the death of Jesus and his resurrection can't resolve. There is nothing. And that doesn't mean it can resolve your financial problems in the way you're thinking. It means that financial issues don't matter to God. Financial issues in your life don't matter in light of the cross. He cares for you and for your finances. He cares for you in your stress at work. He cares for you with your difficulties with your kids or your parents or your neighbors or whoever it is. He cares about those things. But, But in relationship to the cross of Jesus Christ, these things don't matter because his resolution for those things is death and resurrection. His his ultimate resolution for all of this is not to make your life marginally better by getting you a raise, marginally better by reducing your workload, marginally better, progressively better, step at a time, things are... His his plan is for you to die. (laughs) I don't know when, by the way, not, not tomorrow. But... Be raised from the dead. This life is full of these things, and he will intervene, and he will show you how he is at work. You will have things to watch for and to witness to, but ultimately, if it, if it just, you're not seeing it. You've been waiting forever. I'm not seeing it. Your witness is still, Lord, return soon. Come, Lord, quickly. 
Bring me the resurrection. Bring me a new heavens and a new earth. Resolve this brokenness that we have. End the wars. End the famine. End the heartache and the pain of this generation and generations not even born yet. Bring it all to a conclusion. That is the ultimate prayer of the Psalms. The ultimate prayer of the Christian is this is hard. God does intervene. We praise him however he intervenes. We witness to the world, but we never stop that witness short of saying, and I have the resurrection, and I want it for you too. I got a spot. I got a spot in the next earth. He's not going to make this one marginally better. He's going to make the next one absolutely perfect. And, and I got a home there. And I'm so glad I get to say I got so many family and friends and, and so many people I know are going to be there. I want you to be there too. And what do you got to do? Just believe. That's it. Just believe that we've got a God that good. Doesn't cost you money. Doesn't cost you. It, it, all it costs you is Everything. <laughs> Because you got to put everything else second and put God where he belongs. Lord of your life. King of your life. Savior. And just believe it. Amen. And may the peace that surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that uh, you dig into my skull <laughs> and you dig into the skulls of everybody here to pour into them love, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness, not instructions and rules of sacrifice and offerings, but rather you send your spirit by the waters of baptism to wash us, to cleanse us, to forgive us as a reminder each and every day of our lives. Not that we have done, not that we are to figure out, but rather to wait, to watch what you do, and to witness to the world. You are good. You are gracious. Even in our most difficult times, you are a God who gives to us eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.